0: You're listening to A Climate Change. This is Matt and your host. I've got a great guest coming on the program, Jad Daly from American Forest. He is the CEO there for a number of years. American Forest has a storied history going back, uh, what, approximately 150 years, has been involved in the environmental moment, movement, really from uh, almost its inception in America, and has done some incredible work, uh, Right from the beginning of working with Teddy Roosevelt to creating national park systems system to uh, up to current day to providing forestry to cities and uh, working with lots of cities around the country and around the world to um, improve the amount of trees that we have, particularly in now lower income areas, because we're seeing that a lot of those areas are kind of uh, under forested and and they're creating heat islands in in lots of cities because there's not enough green space. And it's kind of surprising and shocking how much the temperature at the surface level can change because of uh, the lack of uh, tree cover and green greenery in our cities. It's Um, it's pretty uh, amazing. But uh, I'm going to let Jed, the expert, talk to us about that. Uh, Jed, thank you so much for joining us on the program and look forward to chatting with you.
1: Oh, thanks so much, Matt. I'm I'm really excited to join you. Uh, This is an amazing moment for the The forest climate movement, uh, which I've actually been working on this issue now for about 15 years, and it just feels like in the last few years, we're on this incredible upswing of societal support, political support, Um, some really transformational things are actually happening right now uh, in this work. And so just really grateful to connect with your audience and, and hopefully get some more people involved.
0: Well, I always like to start with the origin story of everybody, and and tell us a little bit about your origin story, and and what uh, what brought you to this work, and um and what keeps you doing it.
1: Yeah, well, absolutely. You know, I I had a, a, my kind of light bulb moment. Um, I grew up uh, loving the outdoors and and having the incredible privilege to spend a good amount of time on a small island in Maine that you can only access by boat. Uh, so a lot of nature access as a young person. Um, But when I was in college, um, uh, I took a semester off from college and uh, and I decided my self-improvement project was gonna be to read the New York Times every single day from the first page to the last page. And this was 1988, and it was a time of incredible environmental crisis, dolphins washing up dead on the shore, sort of uh, revelations around nuclear waste, uh, uh, just all sorts of incredible things. But the one that really cut through to me was climate change. Um, and so when I went back to uh, college at Brown University, I I changed my major um, and decided to to devote my academic career and my, my life to working on conservation issues. And, um, and in fact, in those final months there at Brown, I read um, a book called The End of Nature by Bill McKibben. And if anyone here hasn't read it, it was really, it was kind of like the Rachel Carson Silent Spring of Climate Change. It was really the first book that that brought the crisis of climate change to really broad audiences and had an incredibly powerful way of describing the urgency of this issue. And so for me, um, I said, you know, this is going to be the through line in the work I want to do in the environmental space. And and so it was just really exciting about 15 years ago when as one step in this direction, I was able to found the first forest climate coalition in the United States called the uh, Forest Climate Working Group uh, and just try to bring together everyone from all parts of the forest community, even beyond the forest community to to uh, connect this thing I love forests, with this issue. I'm so concerned about climate change and, and make that kind of the, you know, the, the axis of, uh, of my, my career, ultimately.
0: Well, it's uh, amazing work and a great uh, story, and and kudos to you for, as a young person, kind of finding your your center there and and working on it uh, diligently for decades. It's uh, it's great to to hear that kind of thing. I I guess I want to ask you a question about a trillion trees. It's something mm-hmm. that uh, has cropped up in the common parlance over the last number of years, and. Uh, Where are we at in terms of that? And I guess, why why is that uh, an important goal? Is it going to uh, really make a dent in climate change? Uh, Where do you stand on that?
1: Well, Matt, I'm really glad you started there because I think in some ways, uh, the Trillion Trees Movement is one of the best things that ever happened to forests and climate change. It's also in some ways been one of the most challenging as well. Um, and um, and I think the, the, what it has done, what the trillion trees concept um, has done, and, and for anyone who's not familiar with this, uh, the vision is um, that by conserving, restoring, and growing an additional trillion trees, so basically creating a net gain of a trillion trees, uh, that we could produce a profound uh, gain in terms of the additional amount of carbon that we could capture uh, and store uh, in our forests, and and some projections suggesting it could be more than 200 uh, billion uh, metric tons of uh, of carbon dioxide, additional carbon dioxide that would cap be captured um, by doing that. And that's based on some uh, some really important research that was done uh, globally. And so when that idea of of a trillion trees, it's a huge number. It's a it's a giant kind of a moonshot type of an aspiration. When that idea was first advanced and ultimately taken up by a coalition that we're very proud to be a leader within called 1T.org, you know, really picked up the mantle and said, how do we get everyone in from governments to Girl Scouts working on that vision? Um, The great news was was, that it really rallied a lot of support and got a lot of public uh, interest. Um, the challenge is uh, that I think people sort of got tunnel visioned in some ways. Some people misinterpreted the vision around a trillion trees. They thought it meant planting a trillion trees and kind of without any regard to what type of trees or where. Um, I think there there are also, um, uh, because it's a big global vision and it's been a big global analysis, uh, some of the The finer scale and, quite frankly, more uh, clearly defined science around what we need to do, say, at the scale of the United States has gotten lost. And so it's kind of become a a little bit of a target for skeptics um, who feel like um, not only are they not 100 percent sure about the science, which I promise you is very sound. uh, But second of all, I think sometimes people hear a trillion trees and they've sort of then jumped to the conclusion that it's somehow – instead of other things that we need to do on climate change. And there isn't anyone involved with Trillion Trees who's saying that. I mean, one of our organization's foundational principles is we are the oldest forest conservation organization in the United States. We work every day to make forest and forest products the biggest possible solution they can be to climate change. And we will be the first one to tell you, we absolutely cannot under any circumstances solve climate change with trees and forests alone. I mean, it's just absolutely no chance. Um, But what's really interesting is all the science shows we absolutely can't solve climate change without contributions uh, from forests uh, as well. And so, um, you know, sometimes I think people, the trillion trees idea has kind of over uh, written that, um, that that fundamental principle that we and others in the forest community have worked so hard to say is, uh, you know, let us help, let us do our part. And the Trillion Trees vision, and that is a metric of progress, is a really nice way to frame uh, that ambition and to bring a lot of folks in uh, to do it. And again, I think 1T.org, this coalition that we've been proud to help support in, in concert with the world economic forum and, and salesforce and a number of other great partners i think has been one one valuable tool to to rally the forest climate movement
0: well i i think that uh, from my study of the issue it it definitely requires interdisciplinary approach and that there's so many different things that we can and should be doing i guess the question is kind of where does um the trillion trees fall in the top five or the top ten is it or or is it useful to rate in that way? And then uh, a kind of a a related question is what's the amount of carbon budget we have to spend? That's something that comes up in conversation uh, before the tipping point of of reaching our temperature levels, increasing beyond 1.5 Celsius by 2030. Um, And where does this 200 billion metric tons get us? in ter- terms of giving us more time to um, kind of save the planet and save save the climate. So where, where are we at on that front?
1: Yeah, well, if, if it's okay, I'm going to answer your question, but I'd like to take it in a slightly different direction because I, I suspect it might be helpful for your audience to, to, let's bring this down to a scale where we can be a little more specific um, and, and give people some some frame of reference that they can really relate to. So here in the United States, we know based on very, very sound uh, federal data that's collected by the U.S. Forest Service uh, and partners um, uh, and that is uh, reported to the U.N. Uh, uh, every year um, that U.S. forests and forest products together are capturing and storing more than 16% of our carbon dioxide emissions on an annual basis right now, today. That's the that's the starting point here at, the, uh, at this juncture in the U.S. And we have great science showing that we could about double that if we undertake the right actions in our forest, which I hope we can get into uh, later to show what those actions are. Um, and, uh, and so, and, and the beauty of it is, so right there I'm talking about, we can get to uh, roughly a third um, of our carbon dioxide emissions being captured by our forest on an annual basis. But don't forget, as those carbon dioxide emissions go down due to all the work that we must do in the power sector and in transportation and all these other areas, that percentage is going to get bigger and bigger because the amount of carbon we're sequestering stays the same. The amount of emissions that we're offsetting uh, goes down. And so that's why, for example, the Obama administration projected in their mid-century climate strategy uh, that we could maybe get half or more of our emissions ultimately uh, captured and stored uh, in our forests. Um, So huge opportunities here. It's a big part of the equation. Again, it's not the whole thing, but that's why we say, you know, you can't win with forests alone, but you can't win without them either
0: well that is uh, that's a big number and i i don't think i've heard that number that we could go as high as a third or maybe even 50% of our total uh carbon sequestration uh, handled by forests it's obviously puts forest up in the top 2 or 3 things that we should be focusing our energy on uh at least in my uh, humble arithmetic calculation there but um We're gonna be back in just one minute. Uh, You're listening to a climate change. I've got Jed Daly, uh, CEO of American Forest on the program and uh, looking forward to asking Jed more about these questions in the next segment. listening to a climate change. This is Matt Matter, and I've got Jad Daly of uh, American Forests on the program. Uh, Jad, we were just talking before the break about how much carbon can be sequestered in forests. Uh, tell us about what some of those actions are that uh, we can take to sequester more carbon in the, our forests. And what are kind of some of the ancillary benefits kind of downstream, if you will, for having a healthy uh, forest in, in our country?
1: Yeah, absolutely, yeah, and actually, uh, Madam, thank. You. Glad you brought the issue of forest health because, boy, there's one thing that uh, your listeners really need to know, is that at this very moment that we're excited about using uh, trees and forests more strategically to capture carbon dioxide and to protect us from the worst of climate change, climate change is harming forest health unlike anything we've ever seen before, whether it's drying out forests and weakening forests in the Western United States in ways that ultimately lead to a catastrophic wildfire, or whether it's massive pest infestations uh, spreading and diseases spreading more rapidly than ever before in in the Eastern United States and more variations I could get into. The bottom line is our forests are under assault right at this moment when we need them the most. And that's why when your listeners think about this, I, I invite them to think about carbon offense and carbon defense, uh, because what we need to do is for our forests to capture more carbon dioxide and actions that, that help make that happen. And then we also need to protect the carbon that's already stored there from things like wildfire. Um, so let me start on the carbon offense uh, side of the equation. And and by far the biggest pathway for increasing carbon capture uh, in our forest is more trees. Uh, It is uh, everything from urban forestry and agroforestry that weaves uh, more trees onto uh, ranches and farms, uh, all the way to uh, reforesting areas that were cleared decades ago uh, for agriculture, more rapidly uh, reforesting burned areas in our forests. Uh, All of those things together, um, uh, having more trees on the landscape in the right places, um, is a huge opportunity to increase carbon capture. The average tree in the United States over its life, we calculated this in partnership with the US Forest Service based on our climate kind of tree species we have here. We'll sequester about 0.62 of a ton of carbon dioxide uh, over its life. Um, And we uh, created a tool in partnership with the Nature Conservancy, invitation to your guests to multitask, it's called the Reforestation Hub at reforestationhub.org. Uh, and you can go into the reforestation hub and you can see county by county across the United States where all of these reforestation opportunities or more trees if you want to think about it that way uh, opportunities are and it actually even calculates um, how much additional carbon dioxide we could sequester in each of these places if we undertook these different types of reforestation when you add it all together Um, Our tool shows the opportunity to reforest 148 million acres of land across the United States in these different ways that I described and increase carbon capture in our forests on an annual basis by a little more than two-thirds over current levels. So a huge, huge carbon opportunity if we're able to take all of these different uh, reforestation uh, opportunities across the no- United States. So that's sort of a, a really classic example of the carbon offense side of the equation. Let me go to the carbon defense side of the equation. This gets a little more complicated um, uh, and a little more counterintuitive. The easy part of carbon defense is protect the forest that we have from development. One of the major uh, drivers of carbon loss is when forests are converted, they're cleared for agriculture, they're converted for subdivisions and other kinds of development. Um, And so we've been in an era for a very long time, for decades in the United States of actually adding more forest than we're losing, which might surprise people. Um, But that's starting to turn around. And so it's really vital um, that we protect the forest land that we have um, and and
0: Prevent, uh, prevent. Let forest. me just stop you there for a second. That yeah. the if w- what you're saying is that we we had been doing got a good job of adding forests, and that now that's that's changing.
1: It's just it's think about like you if, if you threw a, a you know a ball up in the air, it's sort of just at that point where it's hovering and starting to come back down. And and the best way to think about it is if you looked at a map of the United States a hundred years ago, the eastern United States had very little forests. State like Vermont, for example, most of New England was 20% plus or minus 30% forest. Those are now the most forested states in the country, 80 plus, 80% or more forest. So we've had this massive recovery of forest land in the eastern United States. And so part of that is sort of a historical. Uh, trend but it's also very real that you know in the United States our population is continues to expand our our development footprint continues to expand and so um, managing that driving development to places where it doesn't uh, clear forests, um, avoiding agricultural development that clears forests those are all things that can really help us keep the forest that we have. And so it's really important for people here we're not just talking about planting more trees doing reforestation of different kinds it's we also must protect the forests uh, that we have. Um, today. But then the other thing that's that's causing a tremendous amount of forest loss, millions of acres per year uh, is um, a wildfire. Um, and wildfire is fueled by uh, forests that are in many cases either uh, overcrowded. Um, so actually ironically too many trees and or are also in poor health. Um, So they are forests that um, are being uh, impacted by drought uh, that have pest infestations and those kinds of things. And particularly in the western United States, you have a lot of places where through a variety of management decisions about how we've excluded fire or how we've managed those forests, um, combined with the increased stress of climate change, more drought, more pest infestations, are leading to an extent of wildfire and an intensity of wildfire that we haven't seen uh, in, in modern times. And so uh, one of the things that counterintuitive though it might be that can help us with carbon in our forests in the long term is actually to thin some of them out in these places where they're diseased and they're most prone to wildfire to avoid a catastrophic release um, of carbon when those forests burn. And instead to thin them out so they come back to greater health, so they're more resilient. If wildfire does come through, that's, it's more rejuvenating than, destru- than destructive. Um, and those forests will actually, while well, you'll actually lose a little bit of carbon in the very short term, they're going to actually sequester and keep more carbon over the long term. And so that just kind of gives your folks a sense of the range of things we have to do from the very intuitive, you know, we need to plant more trees, all the way to in some places we actually need to take out, uh, actually have to need to thin our forests um, so that ultimately the carbon that is trapped there can be resilient and last into the into the future.
0: Well, certainly uh, in California, there was a tragic example of a forest that was too thick around uh, Paradise, California, where the 88 people, I think it was, that died in a massive forest fire. And my understanding was that the forest was, as you said, too thick. And when it did go up, it created just a a firestorm that was just impossible to control because of it being uh, not particularly well managed i guess the question to that is how do we cut back and and manage these forests uh certainly when driving through areas uh like california you're talking about massive sections hundreds of miles of forest uh, uh thousands tens of thousands probably of of square miles um how how can we do that what kind of budgeting needs to be done to to effectuate that are we getting the amount of money that's necessary to effectuate those plans are those plans in place uh what more needs to be done
1: yeah the, those are all fantastic questions and you really uh, spoke to our organization's heart when you uh, mentioned the campfire uh, that so impacted paradise california that's actually a place where we're working right now um on doing the the post-fire reforestation there um which is really important uh, you know uh in bur- burned areas are not only uh, one of the places where we have the most urgency to uh, to restart carbon sequestration, um, but but burned areas that aren't reforested, uh, like the campfire burn scar, can turn into incredibly deadly landslides and mudslides that add even more uh, harm to local communities. Uh, watersheds can be damaged so that, you know, that uh, water supplies, um, you know, won't be uh, filtered and protected if the forest isn't replaced um, around streams and reservoirs. Um, in the mountains and those kinds of things. So there's just so much that's lost in catastrophic fires that you mentioned beyond the incredibly tragic uh, impact on people's lives uh, and property. And so reforestation is the starting point for, for coming back um, the right way. And I should say that, that one of the things we're really proud of about that work in uh, Paradise and around Paradise at, at the Campfire burn Scar is that we've been using it um, as, a, as a globally significant laboratory for uh figuring out what the details are, the scientific details to plant those forests in a way, replant those forests in a way that they won't just burn catastrophically again. Because one of the things that that the Paradise example is both an issue of a forest being overstocked, but it's also an example of a forest that had just gotten out of sync with how the climate has changed there, which has changed very substantially in that area. So it's just hotter and drier than what that forest was was, uh, naturally attuned to. And so as we reforest it, it's vitally important that we use the right mixture of tree species, genetics, planted in the right densities and ways so that that forest will actually be a a resilient resource that protects the community instead of a danger uh, in in the future. And and so that's really a big, that's sort of actually part of how we have to think about protecting ourselves from wildfire in places like California going forward is actually how we recover from the last one. But then the the, the last thing to say is just, but there is also the the issue of where forests haven't burned already, as you were starting to allude to, going in and, and doing thinning and prescribed fire um, at a scale that we've, like as you said, that we've never seen before, uh, and doing it in a way that we're using science to really understand how much we need to thin these forests, how much we need to burn these forests to bring them back into balance. So maybe after the break, I could talk about um, how we're doing on funding and scaling up these activities, uh, as you correctly asked about, to, to get them to a scale that they can actually uh, give us what we need.
0: Well, that would be great. And I know that your organization has been in the forefront uh, of uh, control burns for quite a long time. I I think I saw on your website going back maybe a hundred years or more. So it's not something that is news uh, exactly to people who've been doing this. Uh, Sometimes you see, I see scrolling down the internet, somebody will say, oh, wow, this is this brand new thing we're trying, but uh, (laughs) it's actually been around for quite, quite a long time. And I guess the question is, how do we implement it more effectively going forward? Uh, you're listening to a climate change. I've got Jed Bailey on the program from American Forest. Uh, we'll, he'll be right back in a minute to talk about these issues. to A Climate Change, and I've got Jad Daly, CEO of American Forests on the program. Uh, Jad, uh, we were, before the break, we were talking about what it's going to take to scale up these operations and um, kind of create the supply chains and the funding that's necessary to actually create the healthy forests that we need um, in, in terms of both sequestering the carbon as well as creating nature space for... Um, you know, our wild animals and cleaner water, and and all the things that go with uh, healthy forests.
1: Yeah, absolutely, man. And and as you alluded to, you know that the the urgency is incredible because there's so many public values at stake, um, and the scale that we need to do this at, particularly in the West United States, where I mean we have forest climate uh, issues, needs, and opportunities all across the country. Let me be very, very clear about that. But there is an urgency. Of these issues in the Western United States, because we're seeing such destruction in our forests from climate change, it's kind of the leading edge of, you know, of forest climate, uh, the forest climate crisis um, is is in the Western United States, and so that just means all those public values that are at stake, and a lot of carbon is at stake, depending on on how we manage that, and so I think there are two things that uh, that would be really valuable for for your listeners to know. The, the first is that. Um, If you want to implement any of these actions, whether it is um, doing a lot more prescribed fire and thinning, or whether it's uh, what I was describing before the break about how to scale up climate informed reforestation. So we're actually reforesting millions and millions of acres more land, and we're doing it in a way with specially selected tree species that have a particular genetic composition and and are planted with a a particular understanding of, of the landscape, not just you know, pines and lines. Um, You have to think about that like a supply chain. Um, And so take reforestation, for example, you know, you have to have the right seed to grow the right seedling (laughs) that has to then be, go to a project that's gone through all the right approvals where the site has been prepared the right way. A lot of steps before you actually get to someone planting a tree in the ground. And then with uh, this work, whether it's planting, uh, you know, reforesting burned areas or whether it's doing, uh, you know, a prescribed fire, it's not like you do these things once, you know, you have to you have to stay on top of them because these forests are constantly changing climate changes is, is constantly uh, throwing us curveballs and so you have to have this sort of ongoing adaptive management. Uh, in place to uh, to do this work uh the right way and to get sustained results and so that's really what organizations like ours are working on and many many other nonprofits, our, our partners in 1t.org that coalition i mentioned earlier incredible work by federal agencies like the u.s forest service uh, state governments uh tribal partners local governments kind of everyone's involved right now in the sort of supply chain exercise of the lifetime where, you know, uh, whether it's it's wildfire figuring out, you know, how do you get enough people out who can do that thinning uh, that you were describing have the right skill are trained in, and have the right skills to do that prescribed fire, which is a very specialized skill. Um, Whether it's uh, folks in the middle of the chain who are scaled up and you have the aircraft and the personnel to go out and do wildfire response in the right places at the right times, or whether it's, you know, massively ramping up uh, the seed and seedling supplies so we can do that reforestation and by our estimates, it might have to be as much as fourfold overall nationally you know, that you have to scale up seeds and seedlings to, to keep up with this opportunity. I mean, all those things, you have um, public and private sector partners out there right now, um, kind of assessing the status of these uh, supply chains of, of people and material and actions, and then organizing, um, You know, a whole new way of doing this work at a a totally different pace and scale, and all at the same time, trying to not just do more of it, but actually do more of it in this really climate smart, you know, really deeply science based way, and it it just makes it into uh, quite a Rubik's cube for uh, everyone, uh, everyone involved. Um, but I can just speak for our part, for example, um, doing this work with the U.S. Forest Service, in particular, around reforestation and reforesting burned areas and other damaged areas of national forests. Um, it's been it's been a really really incredible partnership, and we're seeing people being willing to kind of plan and organize um, and and innovate together um, in ways that that we never never have before.
0: Well, that's great to hear. That uh, because it's something that I've read about is that in the past we we probably didn't reforest in in an ideal way. As you said, kind of pines and lines uh, is not is not really replicating a natural forest. We've got to have multiple species, maybe tens of different species in a forest, and and um, so we kind of are beginning to understand that. I guess my question uh, next is well, say we need a fourfold increase in seed and seedlings. We need all these supply chains. We need all the scaling up. Are we meeting the, the challenge in terms of funding, in terms of manpower, in terms of organization? Uh, where What's kind of the report card of where we're at and where are the things that we as citizens should be focusing on in terms of talking to our uh, elected representatives to help push the needle in the right direction?
1: Yeah, boy, thank you for that question. Uh, that is exactly the right <laughs> right next question. And um, and I, so I have some really good news to share with, with folks. I wish this weren't news, but the, I literally just tweeted about this earlier today. I don't know why more people aren't talking about <laughs> the progress we're making on uh, getting uh, government funds invested in this work um, and uh, and really starting to ramp it up in ways that are both very encouraging and will lead to my offering uh, uh, requests for assistance from folks who want to add their voices. So first of all, in the bipartisan infrastructure law um, and the Inflation Reduction Act, between those two pieces of legislation, uh, there is about $20 billion to invest in forest climate activities. $20 billion. That's the largest investment of its kind in world history in trees and forests, as a climate change solution, and it's everything from tree equity in cities, which I hope we'll get to in the next segment, um, all the way to all this work that we're talking about related to to wildfire. Uh, you know, by some counts, maybe nearly 10 billion of that, in fact, that could touch the wildfire work in one way or another. So a huge, huge uh, investment um, of federal funds that is being uh, deployed uh, out into the field uh, right now, um, and uh, you know, organizations uh, like ours are are forming. Totally unprecedented new agreements with the with the Forest Service, for example, and other government agencies to be partners um, in helping to mobilize those dollars, helping to be kind of quick start um, a staffing capacity to get get things happening out on the ground and provide science inputs and, and all sorts of different things. Um, one example of of the, these measures that we're really excited about is uh, we worked on a. Uh, for about five years on a bipartisan uh, piece of that puzzle called the Replant Act. Um, And great support from uh, California uh, members, such as uh, Representative Panetta, Representative LaMalfa, were actually two of the lead uh, sponsors in, in California, uh, tremendous leadership um, uh, from uh, Senator Stabenow and Senator Portman, uh, the original lead co-sponsors uh, in the in the Senate. Um, and this is a piece of legislation that are part of the infrastructure bill that, re- that basically gave the tenfold and permanent increase uh, to reforestation dollars to the U.S. national forest system, uh, with a particular emphasis on helping to overcome uh, the, the backlog of reforestation around burned areas and, and other damaged areas in the West. And, and so it essentially removes an outdated uh, cap on something called the Reforestation Trust Fund and says, hey, all the dollars that are flowing into that uh, from tariff receipts on imported woods can go straight to the U.S. Forest Service to get on a multi-million acre backlog of reforestation need that has built up on our national forest system over time. So that's just an example of the kind of funding that, and that's a permanent change, that particular one. So it's a permanent funding fix so the Forest Service can catch up and keep up with reforestation uh, of, of the these forests that are under stress from climate change, and do it at a scale, everything from the seed and the seedling piece of the equation, all the way to uh, to doing reforestation out there on the ground. Uh, that's the kind of fix that we've been able to get uh, in the infrastructure uh, bill and the and the Inflation Reduction Act, and and that's matched by some other really historic efforts by states. California um, huge massive uh uh about 14 billion dollars in total uh that uh Governor Newsom and, and and state of California committed um to a wildfire response state of California or state of Washington excuse me huge massive um uh, you know uh, commitment to uh funding fully funding a comprehensive wildfire strategy and I could go to states all around the country that have put really, really meaningful uh, money on the table as well. And then lastly, what you're seeing are our uh, corporate uh, partners stepping up in, in amazing ways. I mean, the work that I described for you at the Campfire um, uh, Burnscar, uh, Salesforce uh, came in as a, a leading company that uh, is made a, a key part of its climate strategy um, to fund partnerships with groups like ours. Salesforce uh, underwrote developing the climate-informed reforestation strategy uh, for the burned area, uh, for the campfire burn scar, helped then fund uh, restarting nurseries to uh, grow the right seedlings and ultimately to plant, replant the campfire burn scar in a climate-informed way. So that's the kind of private sector investment that we're starting to see scaling up uh, to match what we're seeing uh, from governments uh, as well. And and so I think that the, the key thing I would say to your listeners is, I think most people aren't aware of this incredible investment, public sector investment that's being made. For starters, and you know, we need our members of Congress and the administration to know that we appreciate these investments, that we value them, that people see uh, the the impact that we're having, um, and uh, and and you know, communicate that support. And when new measures come up to renew that funding, we're going to need people to come in and say that's what we should be using our tax dollars and other kinds of funding uh, to do. But furthermore, these companies that are really stepping to the fore. To to be champions of this work it's really important that you know people support them as well um and and recognize that uh that's is, is a voluntary action on these companies part um and uh and, and we ought to be uh, looking as consumers to support the companies that are getting out there uh at front and making force part of a part of the climate solution
0: well absolutely and i and i kudos to all those uh um federal and state officials that are doing the right thing and and investing our fun funds our tax dollars into what is the most important problem facing our country which is climate change and i guess um one of the questions i have uh, coming after the break is do we have kind of the boots on the ground in terms of the workers necessary to do this work and to effectuate these changes uh, because uh the money is important but we we need the people to actually do the planting do the work uh to get this done as you said there's massive amount that we're behind uh in terms of replanting after wildfires and 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 the like so uh we'll talk uh, talk to you about that after the break uh, this is matt matter and it's the climate change and we're speaking to jad Daly. and uh we'll be right back in just one minute You're listening to a climate change this is matt matter and your host and i've got jed daly from american forest on the program uh jed uh just before the break we we're talking about people doing the work uh, you know i'd like to have you also talk about tree equity before we jump off and and also what people can do going forward what our listeners can go out and do to help be a part of this process either to uh, work with your organization or other organizations around the country to uh, reach out to their legislators and city council members or whoever um, that they uh, can have some influence with to uh, help solve this problem.
1: Yeah, fantastic, Matt, thanks so much. And uh, this this is so exciting. We've touched on so many important issues for our country that I think need more attention and they need more climate activists, whether you're a forest climate activist or just a climate activist, to, to understand how important this work is um, to our overall success in climate change and to make supporting these forest actions part of you know folks overall advocacy and involvement um, for for getting it right on climate change. And so look, I want to talk about one part of getting it right on climate change, which is absolutely essential, uh, which is what about trees and cities? Well, here's a cool reality um, that a map of trees in any city in America is a map of income, and it's a map of race in ways that transcend income. In fact, we proved it. Another permission to multitask moment for your audience. Check out treeequityscore.org, treeequityscore.org. We mapped every urban neighborhood, American forest, mapped every urban neighborhood in America to show this systemic inequity of trees by income and by race in ways that transcend income. And we have it neighborhood by neighborhood, 150,000 plus neighborhoods across America. When you average it together, the neighborhoods with the uh, highest concentration of low-income people have 36% less tree cover and are six degrees hotter as a result because trees can cool your neighborhood in total by more than 20 degrees at at the critical uh, tool for uh, keeping neighborhoods cool. Uh, Neighborhoods with the highest concentration of people of color uh, have on average 45% less tree cover and are nine degrees hotter. And that you know trans income, transcend income part is a reflection of, of historic pa- practices like redlining and ongoing patterns of bias and investment, uh, disinvestment in our communities uh, that track on race in ways that transcend income. And this, this just has life or death implications. Uh, Duke University did a study that showed that over 12,000 people per year die from extreme heat uh, in America today. By the end of the century, that's going to be nearly 100,000 people per year. And here's the thing. It's not going to be in leafy neighborhoods where everyone has platinum healthcare care uh, and, and great air conditioning. It's going to be in those neighborhoods that are so much hotter, nine degrees hotter. That makes 102 into 111. Um, it's going to be in those neighborhoods that are made hotter by uh, their lack of trees um, and where people already uh, in many cases have less protection in the form of healthcare and air conditioning and other kinds of, of defenses. So this is just a frontline issue for climate justice. We must create tree equity in our cities. Um, and invest in it uh, like it really matters as a a partial strategy, as part of a strategy to ultimately bring uh, cooling uh, equitably to uh, every neighborhood um, and protect all of our our citizens uh,
0: equally. Truly, truly shocking. I mean, we need to underline that, underscore the uh, importance of this. We're talking about uh, 12,000 people a year over 10 years, that's 120,000 people dying uh, because of effectively discrimination um, please tell me that uh, we're doing something to improve this uh, radically and immediately.
1: Yeah, well, it's actually even worse. I mean, so from twelve thousand to a hundred thousand per year. So we're talking an additional eighty-eight thousand per year, uh, people per year potentially dying in a in a hotter, uh, you know, climate uh, impacted world going forward. Um, you know, that's what that Duke University study shows. So that's why this is truly a life or death issue. Well, we are doing something about it. Uh, And I want to give incredible thanks to uh, uh, U.S. Senator Cory Booker, uh, as well as uh, U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow uh, and the late Representative Donald McEachin, who actually tragically passed away, incredible climate justice leader, tragically passed away a number of months ago. And they worked uh, to put $1.5 billion in the Inflation Reduction Act for grants uh, to cities, frontline organizations churches, other partners, nonprofits uh, like us, to go out and do this work of planting trees uh, in the neighborhoods that are systemically uh, underserved and so much hotter um, as a result. Um, and to do this work together in collaborative ways to, uh, uh, to, to not just plant more trees, but to in, uh, improve tree care and stewardship in those neighborhoods, uh, to work on things like uh, tree ordinances that better protect the existing trees that are there. So just take a very holistic approach um, to growing and protecting the tree cover uh, that we have in these neighborhoods uh, that lack it and are therefore so much hotter. And by the way, also have higher levels of air pollution because of the role of trees uh, in reducing uh, air pollution. And the, the great thing about it is this funding is not only focused on this issue of tree equity um, and reducing climate threats um, uh, through the work of true equity, it's not only available to everyone from frontline organizations and churches to mayor's offices um, and, 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 you know, trying to encourage them uh, to work together. Um, But it can be used for things like workforce development programs that help the people who need the jobs the most doing that work to get into careers in this work of urban forestry. We did a study that showed that we can create 25.7 jobs, uh, direct, indirect, and induced jobs for every million dollars that we invest in this work of tree equity. Now, the majority of the work uh, where this is majority of the neighborhoods where this work is taking place are most foundationally economically underserved. That's what's driving the housing inequities, the health inequities that are exacerbating the threats from extreme heat that we're trying to uh, address. And so we just feel it's a moral imperative that if we're going to invest $1.5 billion in creating true equity, we must address the underlying economic inequity, uh, which is such a, you know, such a key part of this uh, equation. And so develop workforce programs that affirmatively help people learn about these career opportunities, get the training to come into them. Um, And so uh, uh, we know that a part of this funding is going to go into programs like the Career Pathways Partnerships that we're building uh, with uh, local organizations and cities all across the country, places like Detroit and Phoenix, uh, where we're helping folks, uh, you know, from under-resourced neighborhoods uh, find new careers and doing this work. And um, and, and you know, solve climate change uh, with a with a new kind of green job. So that that just I think really encapsulates you know the urgency of this work, the kind of incredible political leadership that we're seeing. And total kudos to the to the White House administration has been amazing partners in driving this uh, tree equity work forward with this uh, with this new funding. And then what it ultimately looks like in communities of of different people and kinds of organizations coming together to do the work, turning it into economic opportunity, as well as environmental progress. I mean, it's no wonder we did a poll recently uh, that showed 89% of Americans across party lines support this solution of using trees in our cities as a way to protect us from climate change and, and slow it down. Uh, so. So I think you know that that sort of shows. I think where this part of the work can you know fit, where forest climate uh, work can fit into uh, into a climate movement in America that has has a place for everyone.
0: Well, that's great news uh, to hear that we're we're taking action. I guess uh, the question is whether or not the actions that we're taking are sufficient. Uh, One point five billion sounds a lot like a lot, but I also know uh, based upon the money that's spent for lots of other programs. Uh, around the country that 1.5 billion doesn't buy quite what it used to. Yeah. And the question is uh, what uh, what kind of resourcing are we going to really need to uh, solve this problem of getting kind of trees in uh, lower income areas and income uh, in in areas where uh, people of color are, are living? Uh, and particularly, I was thinking as you're talking about Phoenix being kind of, uh, from what I understand, it's getting to the point where it may be almost unlivable in the summers. Uh, maybe touching on that as a as another point.
1: Well, it, Phoenix kind of encapsulates so much about this work. I'm an incredible, uh, you know, kudos. Um, Uh, You know, to the city, um, you know, just incredible leadership there from the city actually voted um, to uh, uh, to achieve true equity by 2030. Um, And so Mayor Gallego and city council have have the city in an absolute pivotal leadership role. Working towards tree equity, driven first and foremost uh, by the heat threats in Phoenix, but all the other benefits this provides for people in Phoenix. And very importantly, working in concert with other things that Heat Ready Phoenix is doing to cool the city down. So, not trees alone, but trees working in concert with other solutions and the, the there are more than 50 organizations in phoenix working together in an urban phoenix urban forest roundtable that we helped organize groups like arizona sustainability alliance and chispa great frontline organizations that are making sure this is from the bottom up and the top down all coming together it's it's just an all-in uh you know solution in phoenix and and again treating it like a life or death issue because it is it, it truly is um You know, because of the kinds of dire threats that you talked about and and making sure the trees are part of how uh, this city um, is is addressing uh, extreme heat. Um, But I I really hope that, you know, your your listeners talk about the, the level of funding that we need in sustaining this. I got to tell you, when we first started talking about billions of dollars for tree equity in cities, you know, we took a couple hits. We had some folks come after us, um, you know, like this was some woke fever dream as opposed to life or death, climate justice for our cities. Um, and, you know, we're we really need more voices, um, more climate leaders to come out, more climate activists to come out and say, hey, this is a serious part of this work. Um, everything we've discussed here is a very, very serious part of this work. Uh, And and this needs to be funded at a a billion dollar level. This kind of work needs to be funded at the billions of dollars level uh, into the future because we're going to need to sustain these investments and some cases even ramp them up uh, going forward. So I hope that folks can visit uh, the websites that I've mentioned, uh, Reforestation Hub, TreeEquityScore.org. Please visit the American Forest website. We have an action center where there are links to uh, legislation that you can you can take a position on different ways that you can get involved. Um, and, and I just want to lastly say there are lots of ways to get involved in your community as well. I hope you'll get involved in these national issues. hope you get involved with organizations organization like us, national and statewide issues. But in your own community, I promise you there are volunteer opportunities. There are local organizations that are doing work with trees and forests um, as a climate change solution, as a climate justice solution. And I really encourage you to find those opportunities right in your own backyard, right in your community um, to help be part of this solution.
0: Well, Jed, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, Jed Daly of American Forests, the CEO, uh, incredible work that you're doing. Uh, please, everybody, check out his website and uh, 1T.org for a Trillion Trees. Go out there and do some work related to helping these problems.